Our readings are heavy this morning, talking about the forces of evil, the principalities of darkness, spiritual warfare, Jesus' instructions to those that followed him about relying solely on him for their whole life, which was found to be difficult for some, and they turned away. These teachings, these readings this morning are kind of heavy. I mean, if you looked outside the window today, you would say, this is a perfect day. Why must we consider such weighty matters? But perhaps it's on such a perfect day that it's appropriate to consider such weighty matters. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to be getting dressed for warfare as I'm running into battle and the arrows are coming at me. That would feel kind of like finishing one's resume as you're walking into the interview. So let's take advantage of this gorgeous August day when it is perfect outside. And the day spans ahead of us as one of rest and renewal, of fellowship with one another. Let's take this day to consider what our lessons are bringing to our attention. It seems specifically appropriate as well because we are welcoming two new people into the body of Christ. And these two little girls, their parents and godparents, will renounce evil. And they, along with you, will commit to persevering against evil in this world. So even in the rest of our liturgy this morning, we are reminded of the reality of evil forces. Whether we can explain them or not probably seems irrelevant. We know deep within ourselves that there are evil forces in the world, and we are challenged to figure out how to deal with them. Paul's letter to the Ephesians reminds those in Christ that they are equipped, that they are equipped for spiritual warfare. Unfortunately, this passage of Scripture has been often interpreted, been interpreted literally. People use Paul's figurative language to bolster their own sense of self-righteousness and take up arms against one another. We must remember that Paul is speaking metaphorically. And as we invest ourselves in what he is saying, we begin to see how he is bringing to our attention that we are fully equipped for this world because of Christ. We are to put on the belt of truth. Everything's going to hang on the belt. This is why it's so important that the belt be made of truth. It is our work to challenge our assumptions as to what the truth is, to get beyond our fears so that we can see the truth, and to learn to trust the truth, because the truth is where God dwells. As one of my professors in in undergraduate school said, all truth is God's truth. God does not limit God's self to one particular vein. All truth is God's truth. And so, in order to go in to the challenges that we face, we put on a belt of truth. Everything's going to hang on this. And then we put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate, it covers all of the really important things, all of the organs that make our body work. And this is made of God's righteousness, not our own. 
It is God's righteousness that protects our very life. All of the organs that are essential for living. It is God's righteousness that protects us. Paul reminds us of this in his letter to the Romans. When he says no one is righteous, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And in the Psalms we remember that God says vengeance is mine. This is God's righteousness that protects us, not our own. And God places God's righteousness over us. So with the belt of truth and the breastplate of God's righteousness, we then take up the shield of faith. Faith is that which can repel all sorts of attacks. It is a tool. It's not an offensive tool, it's a defensive one. A young person told me, she, just nine years old, told me about a time of flying on an airplane. She told me this as a nine-year-old and how afraid she was. She said, but I prayed to God and my fear went away. A nine-year-old. I asked her what was there to be afraid of on the airplane. She said, well, the turbulence. It was really shaky there for a little while. Faith provides us the assurance of God's presence with us. And when we find our faith not as strong as we would like it to be, that's where our prayer comes in. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. For faith is that which we hold on to, that reminds us of the promises of God. So our shield of faith. We put on our feet anything that will help us run for the gospel of peace. Think about that. What shoes would you put on? You know, I have a rule for any shoe I wear on a daily basis. It has to be capable of taking two stairs at a time. It just seems like inevitably there are occasions where two stairs at a time need to be taken. That means that there are some shoes I will not wear all day long. What shoes do you wear? What shoes enable you, empower you, free you to proclaim the gospel of peace, to be active in peacemaking? There was a sign outside of a Quaker meeting house that said, there is no way to peace. That's what the sign said, outside of a Quaker meeting house. There is no way to peace. And then it said below that, peace is the way. How is it that you are active in peacemaking? What words do you choose? What actions do you do? How is it that you are free and empowered, motivated toward peace? Paul is reminding us that we are equipped, and there are just two more things to assure us of this. We are to put on the helmet of salvation. I like it that the helmet is made of salvation. Because so often in our thinking, we can deduce or reason that things are of import or there is a particular strategy, perhaps either one that do not serve the truth of salvation. By remembering that the biggest work, the most important work is already done, we are free then to be companions and cooperators with God in that effort. 
salvation. We have been saved. God has saved us. The biggest work is done. What will you do in your decisions and in your actions that reflect that truth? We put on the helmet of salvation. And we carry the sword. The only offensive tool we have, which is the word of God. Now, people have used this imagery, as I said earlier, to justify a literal carrying of the sword. And horrors have been happening for thousands of years because of that justification. This is not what Paul is telling us. He is reminding us that it is God's work, that God is the one that differentiates. God does this, not us. And by remembering that it is in God's word that God will do this, all we do is carry it. We don't wield it. This is where it gets a little tricky. This is where it becomes a challenge. Are we willing to actively go into battle, trusting that we have been equipped by God to stand firm? Or do we feel this inclination and this hunger to just get it done, to eliminate the evil that we see around us? This is a lifelong journey. But Paul wants to remind us that we are equipped for the spiritual warfare, and it is God that does the work, not us. God does the work, not us. Jesus sought to give this, this truth some legs in his instruction to his disciples. And we see in our gospel lesson today that the teachings were difficult. Jesus said to them, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. And the followers of him said, this teaching is difficult. Who can accept this? I mean, can anybody really do this? And Jesus says, does it offend you? Jesus said, sell all your possessions, give them to the poor, and come follow me. And his disciples said, this teaching is difficult. Who can accept this? Can anybody really do this? Jesus said, does it offend you? Jesus said, do not judge. His disciples said, this teaching is difficult. Who can accept this? I mean, can anyone really do this? And Jesus asked, does this offend you? Jesus said, forgive as your Father has forgiven you. And his disciples said, this teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? I mean, can anyone really do this? And Jesus asked, does it offend you? Does it offend you to know that you don't have the authority and power to judge another? Does it offend you to know that that for which you've worked hard really isn't yours, that all of it belongs to God? 
Does it offend you that God cares for all people, you and others, even as they're different from you and calls you to do the same, that you're just the same as everybody else? Does that offend you? Jesus calls us into following him and reminds us that we can't do this unless we're willing to give ourselves over. And often the Spirit has to move in us to even give us the energy to say yes. Our prayer is that we will allow the Spirit to move in us. That's our prayer even for today, for Sophia and for Caroline. We pray that the Spirit will move in them and that it will move in us in such a way that we will remember that God has done the work that we're asked to stand and to proclaim it. And God will continue to do the work. We ask the Spirit to move in us in such a way that we can make decisions that promote the gospel of peace, that bring the good news to all those that need to hear it, that we do that without judgment. We do that unhindered by our fears or our anxieties. We do it because we have been saved. This is our prayer. We will actively pray it when we baptize Sophia and Caroline. And God will hear it. And we pray that we will respond in faithful service so that God's kingdom in Christ will be made known here on earth, even as it is in heaven. Amen. Amen.